We've been thinking about the question, what's the next step in our spiritual journey? And you know, anytime we're on a journey and, and we're answering that question, one of the things we need to think about is, what's the destination? As Andy Stanley says, direction determines destination. We can wish that we were going to all kinds of places, but until we begin to step out in that direction, we are sure not to get there. So as we put our foots down, put our foots down, our feet, something like that, our feet down, put our foot down in that direction, we have to think about what's the destination we're aiming for? Where are we headed? And that's really true in our spiritual journey as well. What do we want our destination to be? Now, I believe that our destination is one of the things that actually pulls us together, that draws us together. Because even though as we go on the spiritual journey, we are going at different rates, we're, we're starting in different places, so we're not all at the same place on the journey, but the thing that we hold in common that holds us together is the fact that we're on the same path. We are headed for the same destination. So what is that? As we think about it, I think it's pretty clear that what we want to do as a group is we want to develop a deeper relationship with God through Jesus. And that's what we're trying to do. Part of what we do here is just that. Part of what we do when we study the scriptures together or individually is deepen that relationship with God through Jesus, and we are aiming for an eternal relationship with God. We want to spend eternity praising God together. So that's our destination. What's the direction we go in? And we've been thinking about some steps in that journey. The first week we talked about faith, putting our faith in Jesus Christ, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, just as John taught in the series that we talked about, John. And then last week we talked about repentance, because when we come into contact with God and we recognize a pure, holy, mighty God, one of the things we also recognize is that we are sinners. And we know we have to do something about that sin and not just feel bad about it, but actually change direction. Part of our spiritual journey is recognizing that we are on the wrong path and then finding the right path to God. And that really is what repentance is all about. Now, today we come to the third step in this journey. We'll have one more next week before we move to a different series. But today, what I want us to think about is confession. Now, here's the thing. Depending on what tradition, Christian tradition you come from, Confession may mean more than one thing. In fact, it can be a little bit confusing because some people think, okay, confession is sitting down with some kind of spiritual advisor and talking about the sins that we've committed. Now, most of us are not real excited about that, right? We're not excited about telling someone bad stuff that we've done because it makes us look bad. We don't even like talking about that stuff. Now, that's not really what I'm talking about today. The truth is, it can be a healthy exercise to talk to someone who is spiritually mature about the sins that we're struggling with. We don't need them to somehow forgive us of those sins or act as an intermediary with God, but, but it can be a step toward repentance to actually admit to someone, I'm a sinner. Now, set that aside because that's not really what we're talking about. So when someone is baptized at Taylorville Christian Church and we say we're going to take their confession, it's not like the time to get out a notepad because you're going to hear the juicy bits of all the stuff they've done wrong. That's not what we're talking about. It's actually saying something very simple about what we believe about Jesus. 
The confession that we use here at Taylorville Christian Church is, I believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's exactly what John taught us. Okay? So it's as simple as that. But, but maybe when you hear that, you think, okay, like, what's the big deal, right? I mean, why is that such a big step in our spiritual journey just to stand up and repeat after a, a preacher or someone else, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. What difference does that actually make? Why would we need to do that? Well, today I want us to think about that because... John, uh, Paul actually talks about just that thing in the book of Romans. Where we've been sort of skipping around in Romans. Today we're in chapter 10, where Paul addresses this issue of why does it matter whether we acknowledge publicly that Jesus is Lord? Now, when we come to Romans 10, Paul's dealing with an issue that really runs as a theme through many of his letters. He's talking about the universal appeal of the gospel. And what I mean by that is this. In the ancient world... People sort of tended to stay in their own groups, sort of like the modern world. That seems to be the way people are, right? So the Jews in the ancient world stayed to themselves. They had separate rules. They couldn't eat some of the same foods. And so Gentiles also divided themselves in other groups, but that was a big division. And so the church at the beginning is Jewish, right? It's a Jewish religious movement. Jesus was a Jew. The, the 12 apostles, all Jews, the earliest Christian teachers, Jews. And so, as the word of Jesus began to spread to non-Jews, to Gentiles, the question became, can people who are not Jewish, in other words, Gentiles, become followers of Jesus, since this is a religious Jewish movement? And Paul's answer, all the way through his letters, is absolutely yes, they can. You don't have to be a Jew to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, you don't have to be anything in particular at all to follow Jesus. It doesn't matter whether you are owned by someone or you own other people. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, male or female. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter your religious background. Everyone is invited to follow Jesus. That's Paul's message all the way through his letters. And he's dealing with that in Romans chapter 10. And in fact, he's sort of comparing different approaches to being declared righteous, okay? An Old Testament approach and then an approach in Jesus. Now, it matters whether we're declared righteous, right? I, if I stand before God, I want God to look at me and say, here is a righteous man. I do not want to hear God say he is unrighteous. So how can I, when standing before God, be declared righteous? And Paul says one way that we have to this is the law the Old Testament law, and here's what he says about it. Romans chapter 10, verse 5. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. Here's how you get there. The person who does these things will live by them. Here's what he means by that. In the law, the Old Testament, the way to be declared righteous, it's as simple as this. There are 613 commands that you need to obey perfectly for your whole life. That's all you got to do to be declared righteous. And everybody knew no one could do that except Jesus. No one could be fully aware of all of those 613 commands from, from the time that they're sort of conscious about life until death. Everybody was going to mess up. Every single person. And so if you are depending on the law 
to go to the very end of life and be declared righteous, you're out of hope because it's not going to happen. And so the law was really good about identifying sin, but it left people without the hope of ever being declared righteous. The Jews who had the law failed to obey it. The Gentiles didn't even have it, so there's no way they could obey it. So everyone was standing on equal footing, standing condemned by the law. So no one is declared righteous. And then Paul says there's another way. You don't have to go up into heaven looking for it. You don't have to go to the depths below. Here's how it comes to you, verse 8. Paul says, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. In other words, you have already been taught this. You don't have to go looking for it because, Paul knew, they had heard the message of Jesus. And then our key verse for today is verse 9. Listen to what Paul says. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now let's take that apart. It begins with this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You know what that is? That's confession. That's exactly what we're talking about today. That we publicly say Jesus is Lord. Now, we say Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's a perfectly good confession of faith stating what we believe. Here's another New Testament confession. Jesus is Lord. And when Paul wrote that, what he's saying is this word Lord was a way that Jews translated from the Old Testament the name Yahweh, the name, the personal name of God that we find in the Old Testament. So what are we saying when we say Jesus is Lord? Not just Jesus is powerful, not just he's above all else. We are saying Jesus is God. Okay, If you're willing to say, declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord or Jesus is God, but that's not the end of it, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So what's Paul saying? It's not just that you can stand up in front of a group of people and sort of, you know, just without thinking, just say mindlessly, Jesus is Lord. I believe Jesus is the Christ. That's not what we're talking about. He says that if you say that while believing that Jesus was raised from the dead. Why that? Because that's the key fact about Jesus that separates him from every human being who lived before or since. Yes, Lazarus was raised from the dead, but Lazarus died again. We talked about that when we studied the book of John. That Jesus was raised not to die but raised eternally. No one else has done that. He points forward to us having that happen, but it's not happened yet. And so Jesus being raised from the dead confirms what we are ready to confess, that he is Lord. And so we, we confess, we declare Jesus is Lord while believing, and that's all about faith, right? So he's connecting confession and faith. They go together. If we don't have the faith, then the confession means nothing. While believing that Jesus was raised from the dead, what's the result? You will be saved. You'll be saved. So faith and confession lead to salvation. Now, one of the things that we always have to be careful of 
is taking one verse of scripture and just lifting it out of its context, lifting it out of the book in which it's written and saying, okay, this is the be all and end all of Christian faith. Well, this is a really important verse. But if we just read this verse, then we're going to leave out some of the other steps that we're talking about, right? I mean, Paul doesn't mention anything about repentance in this verse. So he must think it's not that important, right? Well, wrong. Last week we studied just how important repentance is to the process of growing in our faith. So that's another piece that we have to put with this verse. Next week we're going to talk about baptism. That's another piece, another step we've got to put with this verse, but Paul is connecting faith and confession and saying they are of vital importance when making the decision to follow Jesus. Okay, he backs that up in verse 12 and 13. It says basically sort of the same thing in a different way. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. In other words, again, we're all on the same level playing field. The same Lord is Lord of all. Okay, we've got the same God, whoever we are. And, and he's inviting us to him. And, and it's him who richly blesses all who call on him. For, verse 13, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. There it is again. Speaking and coming to salvation. So, the lesson for us in this passage is, what we say about Jesus shows what we believe about Jesus. We can never take confession apart from faith. They have to go together. And when they do, it's an expression of what we actually believe about Jesus. Okay, so you hear, Paul says you got to declare Jesus is Lord. All right, I accept it. I'm called to confession. I'm called to confess faith in Jesus. But you still might be thinking, I'm not completely sure why this is such a, a big deal in the process. What does confession actually do that makes this an important step in our journey of faith? Well, I think if we look at all of Scripture, we can see that there are a lot of things that confession actually does. I want to identify three because I think they speak to how we understand this. So the first is this. Confession makes our commitment public. When we confess faith, we are saying to the people around us, I have faith that Jesus is Lord that he's raised from the dead. And that matters. Now, when I say publicly, I don't mean that you have to go stand on some street corner in town with a bullhorn repeating over and over, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. That is not what we're talking about. It's simply standing with a group of Christians and saying, I agree with you. I want to be part of this. I believe Jesus is Lord. And that's the beginning point. That's the start of what it means to identify ourselves with Jesus. So we are publicly saying, I stand with Jesus. Why? Because I believe he is God. Because I believe he's the one that God had planned for for centuries and sent into the world to bring salvation. I believe, in fact, that he was raised from the dead and that sets him apart from every other human being who ever lived. So it's a public declaration that I have chosen to follow Jesus. Now, that matters, and it really mattered in the first century. Why? Because in the first century, among those earliest Christians who were Jews, right, you stand up and say, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Everyone that you've known for your whole life suddenly says, I don't want to have anything to do with you because that's blasphemy. You've called a human being God. And so you're no longer part of our family. You're not in our circle of friends. You can't come to our synagogue. In fact, we're not going to do business with you anymore. 
I hope you have a nice life because we don't want anything to do with you. When people stood up and said that, it had consequences. And then as the church began to spread among Gentiles, Gentiles faced those consequences as well. Because they were a small minority and seen as sort of a strange fringe group, and so they began to be blamed for stuff and faced persecution. Standing up and saying, I believe Jesus is Lord, had consequences. And it has consequences today as well. There are Christians around the world, so when they stand up and say, I believe Jesus is Lord, it changes their lives. And it may mean even their death. So doing this publicly matters. It is a courageous act to stand up and identify yourself as a follower of Jesus. Second reason that confession matters is our confession brings us into unity with other Christians. When we stand up and say in this room, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, we are saying, I want to be part of this community of people who agree with me on this. Our confession of faith should identify us with other followers of Jesus. It should bring us into unity with each other, not just in this room, but into unity with Christians around the globe. Because we all believe that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, here's the thing. If you look back in Christian history, it hasn't always worked this way. Because what we see in Scripture are very simple confessions about the identity of Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But it wasn't long after the first century, the beginning of the church, where Christians began to have all kinds of divisions, and it continues to even to today. And one of the things that happens when Christians had divisions was sort of they would divide, and maybe one side would sort of lose out, and one side wins, and they become the, the sort of the dominant Christian tradition. Well, when you've divided over an issue and you win, one of the things that Christians would do is add a little line to the confession to make sure that everybody who comes after me believes what I believe because it's right. I'm just making sure they're right. And so if they want to be a Christian, they've got to say this too. And, and it became that the confessions, or sometimes we call them creeds, ended up being several lines or several paragraphs or several pages. And if you want to be part of that group, you have to be able to say all of that, that I agree with every word of it. And if you don't, you're not in. So instead of a confession being a sign of unity, it became a way for us to divide ourselves up from other Christians. Just the opposite of the way this should work. So if we can take a step back from that as believers and say, you know what matters? What matters is whether we can say to each other, I believe Jesus is Lord. What matters is whether we can say to each other, I believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And if we can start there, then we can worship together, we can serve together, we can pray for one another, we can support one another. And we can spend eternity praising God together. You see, our confession should bring us together, not separate us. Third thing that our confession does is that it, it's a witness to others. 
When we publicly, and again, it doesn't have to be on a street corner. It can be right here, or it can be in conversation. When we say, I believe Jesus is Lord, that says to the people around us, this, this fact has changed who I am. This fact has changed my allegiances. This fact has changed my future. And it may give a window for them to want to know more. If this matters so much, tell me why. Explain to me why you believe and what you believe about Jesus. You see, our confession can be an opening for evangelism. For people to investigate, check out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so, you know, as we think about these steps that we're talking through, faith, everything follows on that. If we don't have that, it's all meaningless. Repentance, we've got to deal with our sin. We think about confession and baptism next week. The one that I think is really easy for us to sort of skip over and, and move on from is this one. It's just saying a few words. Does, does it really matter that much? And in fact, it does matter. Because it's a declaration of who I am and who I want to be and what I want to do with this life and how I want to spend eternity. And so it's important for us to stand with other Christians and say, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's pray together. God, we're all at different places in this journey, and some of us many years ago confessed Jesus as Lord. Some are still working through that, figuring it out, reading up on it. God, we pray that wherever we are in this, you will guide us so that we follow you, so that we are taking steps on that journey toward the destination of knowing you better. And we pray you'll guide each one of us as we do that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And again, as we walk through this series, let me encourage you, if you have questions, if you're working through some of these issues, whatever point you are in this, I would be glad to talk with you about this. Our, I know our elders would be as well. Love to have a conversation about the next steps of your faith. Let me know. Talk to me after church. Send me an email. Give me a call. We'll talk it through. Let's stand and continue to worship.